spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Whether you're saving the world or trying to escape it, this week we've got you covered. It's episode 353 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. As always, busy show this week with a couple of great guests to talk about two very different things. The first of which is Bliss, the new Amazon Originals movie. We've got writer and director Mike Cahill on the show this week to talk about how he came up with this alternate reality type of vibe. Well, he, he can explain it better than I will, and I, we'll get to that here in just a second. Also, going to talk to the creator of Kid Cosmic, the new animated series from Netflix, Craig McCracken, going to join me to talk about that. You might know him from Powerpuff Girls, Dexter's Laboratory. Man, he's going to have some great insight on this new animated series that you should definitely be watching from Netflix. Plus, going to talk about the brand new trailer for a show that I've been excited about, The Nevers, which is going to be coming out on HBO. We'll also talk about Ryan Coogler's big new deal, some big renewals from the CW. But first, I'm going to start things off, like I said, by talking about the brand new animated series from Netflix, Craig McCracken. They're going to talk to me about Kid Cosmic next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey guys, it's Larissa Tronco from Netflix's The Order, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, when somebody's created so many great animated series that you love like Powerpuff Girls and Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends you want to know when they've got something new right well this guy's got Kid Cosmic coming to Netflix all episodes are going to be dropping on February the 2nd and you know I'm talking about writer and creator Craig McCracken Craig how you doing I'm doing very good how are you doing fantastic now as I mentioned Craig you created Powerpuff Girls so you're no stranger to creating and creating heroes so how would you describe Kid Cosmic Kid Cosmic is really grounded in reality. Um, unlike Powerpuff, which is sort of a parody and campy superheroes, Kid Cosmic is about a regular kid who has a fantasy, like a lot of kids, of, of being a, a superhero. And I kind of want to just explore the idea of, like, well, what would happen if that fantasy became a reality? What would happen if that actually happened? And really looking at it from the perspective of, like, well, he wouldn't be good at it. <laughs> you wouldn't like if you get superpowers suddenly, you're not going to be amazing. Right. If you're going to try to form a superhero team and you grow up in a small rural desert town, who are you going to form that team with? Just the random people that you happen to be close to. So I just really like that idea of, of taking the superhero genre and the alien invasion genre and really just kind of applying it to regular people. You know, I've always said that in superhero movies, there's always this montage in the middle where the, the heroes suck at their powers and they're they're not good at it and then they quickly get great but to me that moment when they weren't good was the most human moment and the most relatable moment and the most humorous moment um, and so I was like, let's just do a show that takes place at that moment where it's it's when it's hard and when you're struggling with it. It's funny because that's exactly what I was going to lead into next because I was going to say there's so many animated series that we've seen that, you know, from the very beginning, the heroes have their powers, they're polished, they're trained, they're ready to go. But this team is is mm-hmm. really far from that. Was that maybe more fun to do as like a day one type origin story? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because it's you get humor from that. You get humor from, you know, struggles and failures and not having... The, the skills to, to do something. I mean, a lot of those characters that typically get made, they're, they're supposed to be aspirational, like, oh, I wish I could be like that. But I wanted to tell a story with, where kids could watch and go, yeah, that's how I really am. You know, I have a, I, I get frustrated. I get angry. Things don't work out the way I want them to. You know, I'm, I'm having a hard time. And I kind of wanted to just kind of show a more realistic portrayal of a kid who gets superhero superpowers rather speaking of heroes of course that always comes with villains as well so what was it like creating all of these different types of aliens that we're going to see in this series it was basically just sort of a love letter to classic science fiction genre like if you watch especially in episode four when we have the most aliens they're sort of like homages to classic rubber suit aliens. There's homages to Geiger aliens. And like every single iteration that you've seen kind of in the science fiction genre, you know, Stuck Chuck, the kid's main nemesis, is kind of a tip of the hat to Mars attacks aliens. So it's just a matter of just like looking at what's been done, 
in the kind of the history of the sci-fi genre and finding a kind of a cartoony spin on that. It was just fun to do. And I just felt like we needed, when we, when we came up with the character of Stuck Chuck, that I really felt like the kind of show came into focus because I always say he's sort of like an anti-Jiminy cricket. He's sort of the voice in the kid's head to tell him how bad he is and how much he sucks. And he's just this kind of source of discouragement the whole time. And it was just having that alien that he lived with was just a, it was it was a really great character kind of to bring into the the overall team of the show. I've got to say the one-liners from Stuck Chuck throughout the series were one of my favorite parts. Can you tell us more like out of context? Do you remember like a favorite line when you wrote that? And you're like, this is funny right here. There's a line in episode five that makes me laugh every time. And it doesn't come from Stuck Chuck, but it's when the whole locals are stuck in the diner and Tuna starts meowing, the cat Tuna starts meowing. Kid goes, Tuna sandwich senses danger. And it's such, like, it makes sense in the context of the story, but out of context, it's the weirdest collection of words, tuna sandwich, sense of danger. And it's just like, it makes me laugh every single time I hear it. I was talking about other animated series that you'd worked on before. There's plenty that we all enjoyed as kids, and now we still love as adults as well. Now, as a father of two, I watch a lot of animation with my kids. So when you're writing a series like this, mm-hmm. I always wondered, obviously you want kids to love it, right? But do you also think to yourself in the back of your mind, I don't want this to drive parents crazy either. So like the best of both worlds sort of thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, we're trying to make this for everybody. I mean, even classic cartoons going back to the golden age of Bugs Bunny, they were always made for all audiences. So even though my shows have always appealed to kids, I've always made them with everybody in mind and tried to make something that, you know, doesn't drive parents crazy. And that always puts something in my shows that they can, you know, they can glom onto and they can get. So it is, it is sort of, you know, for kids and family, basically, is kind of the genre I've been working in most of my career. And Kid Cosmic certainly falls into that. Of course, all episodes going to premiere February 2nd on Netflix. Talking to Craig McCracken, who's the creator and writer of the series. Now, Kid loves his comics, and I can't blame him. And it feels like comics are a really big part of what was built on the foundation of this show, other than the sci-fi love letter that you mentioned before. Were there any comics that kind of mm-hmm. inspired you, like maybe over the years or even for this specific show and the writing team when you were putting this thing together? Well, one of the big comics that really inspired Kid Cosmic overall was Hergé's Tintin. I grew up loving the Tintin uh, adventures, and I still do. And one of the things I liked about those is that they were they were cartoon characters and they had broad personalities, but they were really grounded in a believable reality. Like every adventure Tintin would go on, I was like, oh, I'm there. I'm in Tibet. I, this is what that feels like. It, it, so when doing Kid Cosmic, because it is about real people, we tried to like ground it in a real tactile, believable reality and sort of like kind of turn to, to Tintin as like a thing to look at. Of like, well, how did they pull this off? So yeah, that was one of the, the big inspirations for sure. Let's talk about the Stones of Power for a second or the Rings of Power, however you want to, to look at it. How did you settle... Uh, which mm-hmm. power each stone would have. I mean, it seems like there were endless possibilities. And were there other ideas for stones that you kind of decided not to use? Yeah, well, we wanted to kind of come up with, uh, you know, iconic powers. You know, the kid obviously is going to fly because what kid wouldn't want to fly? Then, you know, Rosa's, you know, a little four-year-old girl who's always told she's too little. So, like, okay, well, let's have her get huge and giant. Joe was always a character, I think, who doesn't love living in the desert and always wanted to go somewhere else. So, all right, give her teleportation powers. Get, let her go somewhere else. Papa G, the kid's grandfather, he's like an old hit pacifist. He doesn't believe in fighting. So the idea that he could multiply into an army for the kid that doesn't want to hit anybody was funny. And then Tuna Sandwich the Cat, the fact that he can see the future but can't talk was just really funny to me because he does have the answers, but he's incapable of telling the team about it. But yeah, we we, we have some other ideas for Stones of Power uh, that we, we think could be applied at some point, but those seem like kind of the essential one for these characters. Hopefully we'll get more seasons so we can figure out what those ideas were. Now, you mentioned Papa G. That was actually one of the characters mm-hmm. that as I was watching, I'm like, this character's really growing on me. I love this guy. And in a way... I mean, and people will see this when they watch series. Without him, this team might literally not have gotten off the ground. So was there any character that, as yeah. you, when you were writing them and you were, you, when you were putting the show, show together, you found yourself 
having more and more fun writing as you were going. Papa G definitely was one of my favorite characters when we really kind of clicked on him and him being Kid's grandfather and this kind of pacifist hippie and sort of uh, he's he's really the, the only family kid has. And so the more we kind of wrote him, the more I really kind of also like really connected with that character. Also, Tuna Sandwich, the cat, as the series goes on, Tuna develops a bigger role. And it was just, I, I really liked you know, who he turned into as a character as well. Also, Stuck Chuck, we really, you know, like the, the change that Chuck takes throughout the series. He's just a, 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 a fun character. And, and the fact that the bad guy can kind of grow and learn, too, was really interesting to us. I think you guys have a, an amazing mix of a voice cast. You've got long, young talents like, like Jack Fisher and Amanda C. Miller, but you've also mm-hmm. got the vets. You've got Tom Kenny. You've got Fred Tessacore on there as well. So... Their energy just yeah. works so well together. How did you and your directors create such a great chemistry? And did, did they actually have any chances to record together at all? Yeah, there was definitely they would record together uh, now and then uh, when we could. But once you know, the lockdown happened, people were kind of recording individually. It's just a matter of you, you try to find people who are authentically those characters as opposed to finding people who are putting on a voice or doing a voice, you know, especially with the kid actors with Jack who plays kid, I definitely, you get a different type of a performance when you're using authentic children in a series, as opposed to hiring a voice actor to pretend to be a kid. There's just something that, you know, the peanut specials have always done that really well. There's just that kind of authenticity. And so I'm always looking for that when I'm casting characters as I'm, I'm, I'm looking for people who don't necessarily put on the voice, but sort of just embody the vibe of the character like amanda who plays joe is very much like joe just naturally talking to her so it was very easy for her to just kind of embody this character so that's sort of what i'm looking for a lot of time when i'm casting is just that authenticity i can get craig quickly before i let you go i love that this series is the classic 2d style animation there's so many cg based series these days Why was it important for you to stick with more of a classic look for Kid Cosmic? The main reason we did 2D is because it is very much inspired by comics. That I felt like, well, it has to be 2D because that's sort of the vibe of it. Also, I grew up with 2D. I love 2D. I love moving drawings, right? I love graphic design. And I just felt like this show is about regular people doing something exceptional. And I wanted the show to reflect that i wanted you to see drawings that were made by people like and not try to hide that with technology and and you know all this slick uh cg graphics just like yeah those backgrounds those are all drawn by people and those characters those are all drawn by people like it's to really show that human hand that handcrafted look i I just wanted to make sure that that was sort of celebrated uh, on the screen and wait till you see these real heroes on february the 2nd that's when all episodes of kid cosmic are going to drop, and if you've loved the stuff that this guy's done in the past, you're going to love this too, I guarantee it. It's Craig McCracken. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Great. Thank you, James. I really appreciate it. And it really is one of those shows that can be enjoyed by the entire family too. I really, really enjoyed it, introducing my kids to it soon as well. Kid Cosmic, streaming right now on Netflix. Up next, going to switch gears and go to Amazon to talk about the movie Bliss, starring Owen Wilson and Selma Hayek with creator and writer... Mike Cahill will do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Griffin Newman from The Tick, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. If you want to gain a new appreciation for the world, you hook yourself up to the Brain Box. That's right, Amazon Prime Video's Bliss movie starring Salma Hayek and Owen Wilson is now streaming. A couple days before the movie came out, I got a chance to talk to creator, writer, and director Mike Cahill about the movie is such an interesting conversation and such great insight into how he came up with this idea. So here it is my conversation with the creator, writer, and director of Bliss for Amazon Prime Video. This is Mike Cahill. All right, Mike, here we go. I know that it's it's going to be obvious to anybody that sees this right off the jump that Bliss is not your typical sci-fi movie. So how did you come up with this concept for such a unique story, man? It's great to be here with you and thank you for your question and thanks for your time and I'll jump right in. So the, how did I come up with Bliss or the idea? It's not your typical science fiction, not at all. And for me, in conceiving an idea, usually I start in the, I start with the emotional part. And for me, I wanted to tell a story about 
the fragility of the human mind and to, and to treat the fragility of the human mind with empathy and love and care and, and, and consideration. And you, like me, like everybody, uh, may have people that you love who have vastly different uh, points of view about the world, worldviews, mm -hmm, yep. right? And, and this I found really interesting, especially it's 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 heightened in these these times. No um, doubt. And and those different points of view or that different the different way of seeing the world may be even stronger if there's something wrong with the mind or if there's like a if it's distorted or it's fragile in a certain way. And that that person may be seeing the world in a way where there's very little overlap with you. And their worldview may be infused with their emotional interior landscape. They're like seeing their feet, like it would be projected against their world. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to find common ground. And I wanted to tell a story about that and about, in particular, the emotional thing is the, the story in this place, in this case, the, the Greg's daughter, who despite those vastly different worldviews, her persistence and her love makes a difference and to connect. I find that a beautiful component of human, the human condition, the ability, it's hard as hell to do that, but to be able to do that, it's a noble thing. And so I thought, well, okay, I could tell the story as a straight up drama. And, and by the way, the love story between uh, Greg and Isabel is when you align with ways of seeing the world, you see the exact same world together, you're seeing the same things, you know, and I could tell that as a drama, but instead, I decided to use science fiction because I love science fiction and I love, you know, it's my uh, beach reading or my, you know, garden reading. I'm like reading, yes. I'm eating up simulation theory concepts, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought, well, whoa, isn't this cool? I can tell a story about a person caught between two different worlds, worldviews and make them literal worlds. I can make actual worlds out of this. And those worlds can represent the emotions that are being expressed or felt by those two different points of view. And so I thought, this is cool. I can use all the intellectual goodies that I love to consume just for fun to tell this emotional story. So the second I saw Owen and Salma on screen together, man, I was hooked. I, I was all in on this. So talk about the chemistry between the two of them and what makes them the perfect Greg and Isabel, respectively. Oh, my gosh. I feel the same way. Their chemistry is magnificent. And they've never been in a film together. You know, they're, they're among the finest actors that we have in this world. And, and they, of course, they're revered and cherished by so many. And I realized why, like their range, their particular ranges are extraordinary. Their, their, their talent, their ability to say so much with a look or gestures is massive. But in particular, there's something very, this might sound a little esoteric, so hopefully that's cool. When I think about Salma and Owen and their union together, I, I think about the idea of the sublime in the artwork, the art world, the, the idea of, uh, you think of these like British paintings from the eight, uh, 19th century, where, where you'd have like a man standing on a mountain and there's like the whole Alps in front of them. It's like this daunting landscape and that landscape is scary and, and against the, the you know the, the the human or like the boat against this wild sea or you know or if you see those surfing videos where there's like a little person on the surfboard and it's a 200 foot wave that creates this feeling in us that's a very unique wonderful feeling it's called the sublime it's this beauty meeting fear at the same time and some somehow we we like almost our own identity disappears into that 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 serenity that that it evokes and oddly enough, I feel like Salma is the storm. She has the power of that storm. She is the avalanche and, you know, or the wave or that, you know, she's that power and that force of nature with all that acting chops that, that are brilliant, but she has that. And, and Owen has that feeling of the life raft or the surfer in that he's that, that thing you can hold onto and ride that wave with. And those are very different qualities and so together it creates the sublime for me and and i think it's i i think we bottled this sort of lightning between them which i feel really grateful for man that is such a unique way to put it i love that i love it <laughs> now there's okay. a line there's a line that you hear a lot when you're watching the film and it's that that he she he or she quote is not real and at the same time now i'm going to get a little deep on you here as I'm watching this, I felt like there was a little bit of a blurriness to that realness. So how much do you feel like Bliss kind of plays with the subjectivity of a perceived reality? Yeah, I think it plays completely into the subjectivity of a perceived reality. That's the 
That's my jam, man. That's exactly there you it. go. I nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah. yeah. You're done. Yeah. We're done. Drop the mic. I can't look. There we go. Done. Let's go to craft services, baby. Let's get nice. some carrots. No, what I was going to say is that, you know, we, there's a subtle thing that we do in the film. We, so the unsubtle thing that we do is that we separate the, the, the looks of the worlds, right? The, yep. the, the harsher world or the ugly world, as we call it, is that we shoot it with uh, anamorphic lenses, which stretches the bokeh and creates a tension in the image. We desaturate it and add like a cold a colder, cooler LUT, which is color correction or sort of palette. And in the, in the design, we add a lot of uh, high frequency noise, which is sort of intense subliminally on the eyes. That's like just garbage strewn about or whatever. And, and our camera movement is handheld. And has, so that's a very specific look. And then in the bliss world, we use uh, spherical lenses, which are these clean, scientific, beautiful, perfect glass that renders everything very pleasing to the eye. The background is very peaceful and the perfect circ oval, uh, circles as opposed to the stretched ovals, you know, uh, complementary colors and saturated colors. And we use studio mode and steady, steady cans. And there's just a general sense of like smoothness to it. So that's a, a definite distinction between the two worlds. But we do this other thing, which is the repeating compositional elements within subtle, subliminal repeating compositions throughout, woven throughout the film. They're not meant to be seen literally. Like, so if you think, you can see it in the trailer. If you see the, the tent, the tarp homes, the tents leading up to the, where Isabel lives, that shape, the way those roofs cut across the frame are precisely the same shape as the farmer's market yep. uh, polygons cutting across the screen. And so what we're doing is we're saying, maybe we're saying, we're saying maybe these are actually, maybe it's actually the same world, but it's being seen differently in a way, right? And so, but but of course, none of these things are uh, explicitly stated. They're part of the filmmaking part that makes it fun. So at the end, the audience is really free to project their meaning onto the framework. Talking to Mike Cahill, who's the writer and director of Bliss, which you can watch on Amazon Prime Video. Now, Mike, you talked about Nesta Cooper a few minutes ago briefly, and that was a story that kind of broke my heart when I was watching the film, was, was Emily's story. So talk about Nesta's performance real quick, and do you kind of feel like maybe she's like the heart and soul of this movie? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Nesta's an extraordinary talent, and when, we, when she came in to read two of the scenes, uh, during an audition, we were seeing lots of different people for this. And when Nesta performed, she performed the scene that takes place above the, um, the presentation when everything's going a little bit crazy. And she performed this scene in our audition. And I remember I looked over to Marsha, who's uh, one of the executive producers, and I looked over to other, uh, the casting directors, and we all had tears in our eyes. We were like, it, 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 that doesn't happen. Warning, that does not happen in a, it, when you're watching, you know, someone perform under the fluorescent lights and it's like, you know, situation, but we were all weeping. She was so potent and powerful in her depiction and her, you know, just this, this rawness to her. She has this like really raw, wonderfully connective empathy thing. It's just, it's just so wonderful. And the way the movie's constructed is first person narrative that, that's emotionally enhanced. So it's told through Greg's point of view and every scene is, is, is meant to capture his it even has a certain sort of construction to it that enhances the way he's feeling. So we're not telling it from her point of view or anyone else's point of view. Like he, what, the way he feels is heightened by the world. And yet we still, she pokes through, right? And so she is this emotional, it makes her job 10 times harder because she has to poke through this fog in a way, or this, you know, distorted version of, and, and, and show up and cross that bridge into another world. So, you know, I mean, huge, like, she's extraordinary. She's an extraordinary talent. And I can't thank her enough for being a part of this film. Loved her, man. Loved her. Now you were talking about the sci-fi being your jam. You got some futuristic aspects in this film. Obviously you're kind of dealing with some advanced technology at points as well. So talk about the process you had when kind of creating things like the brain box and other tech that we would actually see in the film. The brain box, again, is, a, is one of those compositional repeats that repeats against the tree in the tarp home, right? So, uh, Isabel has this beautiful structure of a tree where she lives and there's these things around it. And then the, the, the brain box, I was trying to imagine a future in which a computing technology could support 
a world, a simulated world like ours, right? You know, and it's not going to be your MacBook Pro. It's going to have a little extra juice to it, right? So, the, so I thought, how interesting with the advances of, of uh, genetic engineering or synthetic biology, you know, what if there was a way to harness the neuron and to literally grow some sort of strange amalgamation of, uh, of brain tissue that's shaped in this like weird sort of tree of brain tissue and then organically connected through the nose. I thought that was kind of cool and not expected necessarily and, and like or, organic. And, and, and it allowed for this moment where when he separates it, like one of the little spaghetti worms goes up in his nose. I don't know if you noticed yep. that. Oh, yeah. I did notice. I definitely oh, yeah, noticed. Yeah, that's, like, that's so carefully designed because that's part of the brain box going into his head, right? So I wanted to visualize that, you know, part of it gets stuck up there. But then the other components, like, you know, holog- I, I try and make my visuals have a uh, metaphorical meaning in a way. So if you think about the holograms, like holograms, ghost people are this idea of like half see-through people. Of course, they seem like uh, telepresence. It's all the rage this day. This is like a future technology. But also as it develops, we learn that these are the people that we're half seeing. Emily keeps showing up as a hologram. So it's like, you know, you're not fully seeing them. That's the idea. Or uh, the idea of the thought visualizer, which is this uh, device that uh, represents the, your intentions or what you're thinking or what you're saying. Like, Love that thing. It's so much fun, but it, Love that it, it has a history in uh, an intertextual history to the film, which is when Greg first talks to his daughter, he says, there's so many things, there's, I have so many thoughts, I wish you could see them. And then again, when he runs into her street, he says, I have so many thoughts, I just wish you could see them. Mm-hmm. And in a way, the whole bliss world is an exp- is us seeing his thoughts, right? It is. And so then the thing that I love about science fiction is when you say, hey, can I have a hand? Someone in science science fiction story might literally give you their hand. Like that's how right. it works. You take the you take the 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 expression and you turn it into a literal object that you interact with or contend with. And so so it's a bit of both. It's like all the things I'm interested in, just because I'm a nerd, combined with those things lending plausibility to the future bliss world, a utopia that feels legit. You know automation, synthetic biology, asteroid mining, and, and then also uh, preserving the metaphors of the, 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 the emotional story that I'm trying to tell. So, it's Mike, I keep going back and forth on this, and I, it's been several days since I've watched the film. I keep going back and forth. Is the brain box something that you would actually like to see exist in the real world? Me, personally? Yeah. You know, I feel like it, it already exists. It, we already have versions, lo-fi versions of it, right? Like, that's what, you know, that's what The Sims is. That's what, you know, that's what uh, different sort of uh, games are. Like a like a, an FGP, a fake-generated person, is just the same thing as a non-player yep. uh yeah, and and so you know there is a we're already doing it. So that's just like you just took it to eleven is what you did. That's yeah, all that was. We cranked it to eleven exactly, and we're sustaining eleven. I don't know. I, I whether I think it's a good idea or a bad idea. I don't know. We you know at the end of the day we're probably we're probably in a turtles all the way down scenario. We are a simulation inside of a simulation inside of a simulation. Infinite regress paradox is the jam. No doubt. Like that's just how it is. At the end of the day, you just have to decide to be present. Oh, I totally agree with that. Totally agree. Now, no spoilers here, but if you had the opportunity, and I'm dancing around this a little bit, do you feel like maybe there's a little bit more of the story to tell, whether it be maybe a sequel, a prequel? Is that something you, you had in mind, or is this one of the things where you're like, I want the viewers to write their rest of the story? Yeah, I think that I think that the second. So I I, I didn't conceive of it when we were making it. There, like, uh, it's so funny. No, it's supposed to be its only thing. But I'll tell you, there was a joke while we were making the roller disco scene because I don't know if you've ever put on roller skates. But if you I, just a few weeks ago for the first time, actually, it was a terrifying experience. There you go. <laughs> but I didn't You'll... fall. I did not fall. <laughs> Good one. Well, then you know where I'm going with this. We were we joked on that day. We we're like, you know what? We do have to do a sequel, and it's going to be called Blister. Oh, I love it. Yes. <laughs> yes. You fit right in here. <laughs> Blister, the sequel to Bliss. It's like things can only get worse. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, they got pretty bad, too, at certain points. Again, not, not spoiling anything. Yeah, the things, things definitely got pretty bad there. Now, really quickly... Mike, obviously this is going to be hitting Amazon Prime Video on February the 5th. When you when you have something like that, there's a very much a like an instant reaction type when, when you're watching a film in this way. Or, you know, people like live tweeting while they're watching the film. So the, if there's one message 
from this movie that you really hope gets across and resonates to viewers, what would that be? Find common ground. Take care of each other. That's what it is. Take care of it. Look out for the ones who are suffering. Anything that has to do with, with the mind, the fragility, the mind. it's deceptive. It's not always so obvious. You know, take care of each other. And always have blue crystals. You'll understand. And always have blue crystals. I always have a bag. Make sure you take 10, not eight. Yeah, just when when you see it, that'll make perfect sense to you when you watch Bliss on Amazon Prime Video, Friday, February the 5th. Writer, director extraordinaire, it's Mike Cahill. Thank you so much, man, for joining me. Dude, what a pleasure. Thank you. It's been enjoyable speaking with you, and I love this podcast, so thank you very much, man. Such an amazing thing to get inside the mind of Mike Cahill as he's creating this just you know, simulated world, real world dynamic that it really draws you in. It's not just Sama Hayek and Owen Wilson who are great in this movie, but it's that, you know, between the two worlds thing that really draws you in. And then you've got Greg's daughter, Nesta Cooper, that just kind of is the, it's almost like the balance between those two worlds and the, and the thing that connects. It's, it's amazing. You have to see it for yourself. Bliss on Amazon Prime Video, now streaming again. Thanks so much to Mike Cahill for joining me to talk about Bliss. Up next, how about we talk about some comics? It's what we're reading on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Artist Fico Osio, artist of Revolutionaries, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The investigation is underway for some great comics, and whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. Going to take a break from the big two this week, actually, and talk about some other stuff. Starting off with the Image Comics, deep beyond number one. And the reason I decided to grab this one is because Mirka and Dolfo involved here in the writing. David Goy writing this one as well. Mirka, though not involved in the art, Andrea Bacardo is going to be doing the art for this one. And Barbara Nozenzo, and I hope I got that right, on the colors. And Fabio Amelia. On the letters. Now, this is a story about a future Earth story, and some spoilers weaved into this, by the way, where the population has decreased significantly becomes some sort of bug. And by bug, I mean like a virus type of situation. And they're closed off, the world's kind of closed off in colonies away from the outside world, outside bad in this particular case. Now, I should point out that it's 2085, that's the year this takes place, and the bug. Hit in 2000, so basically 85 years have passed, and scientists are still working on how to get a handle on this thing. So yeah, things are pretty bad at this point, but one of those scientists that's working on this is a woman named Pam, and she's kind of trapped in the deep ocean. You'd think you'd be safe in the deep ocean, right, from, from some sort of virus that's kind of airborne. Yeah, not so much. Now, what's, who's left behind is her wife, Eve, and what we kind of come to find out is an ex-boyfriend of Pam's, and that is another scientist named Paul. Now, this story gets, there's a lot of moving parts in this story really fast. I mean, it covers everything from domestic terrorism. There's also unexplained phenomenon in this. There's monsters in there as well. So I'm not really going to spoil too much about what happens in the middle of the story. Let's just say Eve and Paul have a weird kind of combative vibe to them as well. Now, there are some secrets in this story, though, with one big one that's actually revealed about Pam in this issue. I know I said I was going to cover spoilers, but I really don't want to spoil this one either. But this affects Paul a great deal, this particular secret. Now, I will say that there's a pretty big setup for the next issue, and it looks like it's going to be action-packed right off the jump. So I'm very interested to see how that's going to kick off. The story itself, though, is actually very interesting. It doesn't lean too heavy into the sort of pandemic-like storytelling. So don't go into this thinking, oh, not another virus story or something. It's really not as dependent on that as you think. It's more of like a mystery than a pandemic-type related story, if that makes sense. The art is actually really great, and you can actually see why Mirka and Dolfo trusted to have Andrea Bacardo take care of the art here and, and that she didn't have to do it herself because the art was really, really good. I'm looking forward to the next issue of Deep Beyond, number one, from Image Comics. And, and while I'm, I wasn't, like, blown away by the first issue, I was definitely invested in the world they created. And there was a couple of very good eye-popping moments in this book as well. So, yeah, definitely going to be picking up the second issue of this one. 
And now a little bit more of a different vibe here with Spectre Inspectors number one from Boombox. Of course, that's the young adult imprint of Boom Studios. So you'd think it'd be a little bit less intense, right? Bowen McCurdy doing the writing here. Also the art on this. Teaming up on the writing, though, with Caitlin Musto and Jim Campbell doing the letters here. Now, this story follows a young woman named Noah and her team who make a show called, guess what? Spectre Inspectors. So that's how you get the title of the book. Now, they're investigating a place called Camp Grace. There's a history of people disappearing and strange stuff going on here. I mean, if you're a paranormal investigator and you have a show, you want to go to the best locations, right? That's what they're doing. And there's a little bit of a difference of opinion, though. In the team, Noah is all about keeping things honest and, you know, we're only going to use legitimate evidence. But Astrid feels like they need to doctor evidence, spice things up a bit, get the followers up and stuff like that. So the moral debate goes on in this issue for sure. I'm not going to really spoil too much of this issue either, though. Something unexpected happens to Astrid during this investigation. No, call it karma, call it what you want, but it really changes things for this story. Now they're kind of on a whole new investigation that's going to really test their bond as a group and their skill as well. And this is something that they have a this there's a very personal connection to what they're doing now. So it's not just about making a show, making content. It's kind of a do or die type of situation. Maybe not literally, but you'll understand it more when you read this book. I will say though this this book did have a few extra pages in it. But it was a really quick and easy read. When I, I always check to see how many pages a book has. When I started, I'm thinking, wow, okay, so I guess I'm in, it's, this one's going to take me a little longer. It actually didn't at all because I will say that this team, this group dynamic is really what drew me in. I mean, I'm always interested in stories about par- paranormal investigators anyway because I was one for a short stretch. And I, I'm just interested in that subject matter. But it was the group dynamic of this team that, that really interested me. And there was a nice nice twist in there, too, especially with what happened with Astrid. It made things really interesting. They really gave the story some depth that I didn't really expect. I expected to go in for this be a, to be a fun story about you know a, paranormal, a young paranormal investigative team. Maybe they get into some hijinks, but there was a, actually some really good depth in this story. And then add to that, the art is very clean, very nice. It actually reminded me of Ghosted in L.A., not because the subject matter is somewhat similar because you're talking about ghosts in one and paranormal investigators in another, but it it legitimately reminded me of the art in that story. Not exactly, but it still, there was like a, to me it seemed a little bit similar, and that's a compliment too, by the way. So, yeah, this one was definitely fun, and it was, that was one of the vibes that I was hoping for in this book, so it it was definitely fun, and yeah, I'm, I'm down for this second issue. I'm really looking forward to see seeing what exactly is going to happen to Astrid coming up next. So we'll be looking for that one in March as well. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. Going to talk about some big renewals from the CW, Ryan Coogler, getting a big, big deal with Disney, and much more with Nerd News. Up next, I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is voice actor Roger Craig Smith, and you guys are listening, you lucky people, to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. And we're back. When they say Wakanda forever, they might literally mean forever. It's time for nerd news. And one of the guys was that was one of the architects of the Black Panther movie is going to be sticking around with Disney for quite a while. Ryan Coogler just inked an overall deal with his Proximity Media company. Five-year deal with Disney. And with that news also comes the news that Coogler and company will be developing a Wakanda series for Disney Plus, all this according to Deadline. He's the writer-director of the Black Panther movie sequel that's going to be coming up. And apparently this also means we'll we'll see Coogler kind of dabbling in some of the other Marvel Studios projects as well. So, I mean, there's certainly any number of things that Coogler could work on. And his talents extend far beyond the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, the work that he did on Creed... And reviving that Rocky franchise, and that that was amazing. What he was able to do with those movies, he, he he's a true talent that has just had a meteoric rise in such a short amount of time. But th- that's the great thing when you've got somebody that that that's that talented, you let them do their thing and you lock them up, and that's exactly 
what Disney did, locked up Ryan Coogler long-term. It's like taking that sports analogy, right? When you've got a player that you know is going to be great for a long time, you want to lock them into that contract for a while, right? So this five-year deal with Walt Disney, it's an exclusive deal. So anybody else that's going to try and get Ryan Coogler, yeah, you're not going to be able to do that. In this Wakanda series, without knowing what, is going to be happening with Black Panther 2, and there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding that movie for a lot of different reasons. It's hard to speculate as to what this Wakanda series could be about, but if you think about it, we don't know enough about the kingdom of Wakanda itself. I mean, we got a good idea of, you know, everybody that was in Wakanda in the, the first Black Panther movie, and I'm, and I'm not sure that Black Panther 2 will take place in Wakanda as much. This would be a great chance to take a deep dive into the kingdom of Wakanda and its people and extending outside of the royal family and maybe go that route. Now, could it be about the, the warriors of Wakanda? It could be about that. It could be about other tribes like M'Baku's tribe or something like that. I think that would be pretty cool, right? You know, focus on M'Baku or some of the other tribes a little bit. I think that that would be really neat. There's a lot that you could do with this Wakanda series. So it's really up in the air and there's, it's hard to, you know, you want to speculate, you can all you want, but there's, it's really difficult to kind of figure out where this thing is going to go. As far as what other characters that Ryan Coogler could work on. Again, it's one of those things where it's hard to speculate. The sky's the limit at this point. I mean, could you imagine him working on a Luke Cage series or a Luke Cage movie should Marvel decide to bring that back. Apparently, a lot of fans want Luke Cage back, including myself. So if you couldn't get the original creative team back, which, you know, you'd almost want to do because, you know, obviously that worked so well. But imagine Ryan Coogler taking his shot in a Luke Cage story. I'd be all for that and a bunch of other characters as well. So, I mean... It, it, with what he's done for the, for the Black Panther movie franchise, I think that Ryan Coogler has got a lot of great years ahead of him. And think about, imagine a Ryan Coogler Star Wars story. Are you kidding me? That would be awesome. I know that it's 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 a Walt Disney deal. This is not a Marvel deal. Okay, it's not just Marvel. So imagine Ryan Coogler telling his Star Wars story. I don't care if it's on Disney Plus or if you give him a movie. I just think that would be a really really neat idea. So we'll have to see exactly how far this deal ends up extending. Speaking of extending things, the CW has done it again and given a lot of different series early renewals before their premieres. So The Flash is going to be back for an eighth season, Batwoman back for a third. DC's Legends of Tomorrow, the show that I never thought would last this long, ends up getting a seventh season. How amazing is that? A bunch of other series Get renewed as well. Of course, remember, Supergirl going to be ending after this upcoming season. Black Lightning as well. And we won't get into all the various spinoffs because we don't know when those are going to be happening. You want to go back to past episodes of the podcast. We could talk about that. But now The Flash joins Arrow as the series that had it's, it's gotten to eight seasons. Now, does this mean the eighth will be the last for The Flash? Is, is eight seasons the, the golden number for Arrowverse series? We won't know until we, we kind of won't know until we get there, right? And I think that a lot of the, that's going to have to do with where this seventh season kind of ends up, right? Of course, you know, you saw you saw the trailer just like I did. You know, we've got Barry trying to get Iris back from the Mirrorverse, and, you know, is he going to lose all of his speed? Is he not? Where does that go? It almost looks like he has to ask Thawne for help, too, which would be crazy. And Thawne just never goes away. And will he help him? Who, who knows, right? So... I remember they're still trying to build the artificial speed force. But where does your story go from here, right? And remember, Barry and I are still haven't gotten pregnant yet, right? And we, we know that baby Nora is going to be coming at some point, but we don't know when or how or anything like that. So, you know, it's a possibility that that's part of where the story takes it. There, There's stories left to be told for The Flash. Okay, so I'm not surprised that it's getting an eighth season. But I, I need to see what's going to happen in Season 7 to, to kind of really gauge whether or not Season 8 will be the last. As far as Batwoman's concerned, I think that Ryan Wilder has taken the world by storm right now. And I think Batwoman is maybe better than ever right now. And a lot of that has to do with Javicia Leslie and company and, and the great cast that was already there. So getting an early renewal does not surprise me at all for Batwoman. Legends of Tomorrow, that show is just so unpredictable to me. 
and, and it's unpredictable in a good way. And the fact that they can just basically keep bringing in these guest star characters, I think helps. And even though they've had turnover on the Wave Rider, it hasn't stopped the momentum. And actually, maybe the turnover is, is actually what's helping this show in a, in a weird way. So, and Superman and Lois gets a couple of extra episodes as well. Their episode total right now sitting at 15. We'll have to wait and see if that's going to be more or less. Probably going to stay at, at around 15, though, I think, if, I, if I'm really being honest. I think that that's what, what they'll probably do because the, I think that everybody wants to shift things back to normal for the upcoming fall TV season, let everybody start on time or as close to on time as possible. So I, I think that they're not going to make that season run too, too long. But again, a, a lot to look forward to. you got Black Lightning coming up this weekend, a couple of weeks away from the Superman and Lois premiere. And don't forget, the, the March starts with The Flash as well. Speaking of things to look forward to, a little bit of trailer talk and go to HBO. The Nevers is a show that I've talked about before. I'm really looking forward to this one. Laura Donnelly, I love her. I think she's amazing. She's going to be playing Amalia True in this series. We know it's going to be coming up in April of 2021. And it basically follows the story of, well, mostly women, that there's a phenomenon that happens and they gain certain abilities and they're referred to as the touched. So if you have abilities that you got from whatever this event happens to be, you are known as the touched. And of course, much like in in Amazon's Carnival Row, you know, with, with the Fae and, and things like that, of course, there's a certain part of society that is not going to accept the touched. And that's a lot. I mean, you're talking about the the police that are that are part of of this story you're talking about the you know high society doesn't accept them it seems like almost none of society accepts them so a lot of this is a fight for a place in, in their place in the world or their place in society and you've got this great team up between Amalia True and Penance Adair and the, those two characters it, it just seems like it's going to be a really fun action packed series and I'm really really looking forward to this and Laura Donnelly just has this charm about her and always has even when she was on Outlander just this charm about her that just makes her a character that you you want to watch forever right so I think that she's going to be a big part of this there's there's certainly mystery going on it seems like there might be a little bit of tension in between certain members of the touched right you know maybe certain Ones have their idea of how they become become accepted, and others have a different idea, and that, and that's a problem. So we'll have to wait and see exactly where this story goes when the Nevers premieres in April of 2021 on HBO. Then you've got DC Animation and Justice Society World War II, which talked about that that was announced not too long ago. Now we know that it's going to be coming out starting in video on demand April 27th and on Blu-ray and 4K combo packs on May the 11th. So here's the deal. You look at the trailer, and it's basically the Justice Society are brought in to help fight the Nazis in World War II. And then you've got, of course, that's in the past, and then you've got present-day Barry Allen, who's voiced by Matt Bomer, you know, who's, uh, again, Matt Bomer in anything, I'm, I'm, I'm up for that. So you've got two flashes in this. You're going to have Barry Allen, and you're going to have Jay Garrick. So, and then, of course, you've got Hawkman in this. You've got Wonder Woman, an amazing cast that's involved in this as well. And you see that, you know, it's it's the dire circumstances of World War II, right? So they, Steve Trevor decides to get the president to bring the Justice Society in to help fight the Nazis. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, Nazis, bad, right? Nazis, scary. But do you really need a, a group of superheroes to battle the Nazis? It seems like, you know, that's... That's going to be a pretty easy battle. And I understand why you'd say that, you know, superheroes against just, you know, a bunch of soldiers with guns. Right. But this goes much deeper than that. Trust me, because you watch the trailer and then you see, you know, giant monsters come into play and things as well. There's a strategic element here that that you have to factor in when you're talking about this. So I think that this is going to be a really interesting movie. And I and I think that part of the, the part of what I got from this is. There's going to be a really neat dynamic between Barry Allen and Jake Eric, as there usually is when those two meet up in, in any form, whether it be on you know the big screen, small screen, animation, whatever. That that's always a dynamic I really really love, and I love that we're getting 
the classic looks, too, of some of these characters. Like, you've got Black Canary in her classic comic garb. You've got Wonder Woman with the high hair sort of thing, right? you got you got Hawkman with a little bit of a not-so-polished look as well. And I'm not saying that as a... That is not a knock on the animation. That's just a, okay, we're back in the 1940s here. Your costume should look like it's from 2020. And it doesn't. And that's a really, really good attention... That's really, really good attention to detail. It was here as well. It's got more of a... a if, if not a golden age, certainly a silver age look for these characters. So I'm really, really looking forward to this. And a give props to Warner Brothers Home Entertainment, Warner Brothers Animation, and DC. After Justice League Apocalypse War, it was a new beginning, right? It was a fresh start. That was the end of that particular storyline. And when, since they've picked things up, they've given us a lot of very unique projects, right? It's not like they wanted to, it's not like they just said, okay, here's the end of one long continuity. Let's just jump into another. They've given us, you've got Man of Tomorrow, you've got Batman Soul of the Dragon, and now this. So what what we're getting is a nice mix of very unique projects, and that's not the end of them. I mean, there's going to be more coming up as well, but it's not like they tried to dive right into a singular continuity again. I think that this is a really neat thing they're doing. They're taking some chances. They always have, but they certainly are after their biggest movie ever. I think that this is a really cool idea, and I'm glad that we're going to get something, again, just a little bit different. To kind of wrap things up here, Netflix has announced a new Sonic the Hedgehog animated series. It's going to be coming. It's going to be called Sonic Prime. It'll be happening in 2022. Going to get 24 episodes. You've got Vancouver-based Wild Brain going to handle the animation duties. And Sega of America going to handle licensing and distribution with them as well. And you've got Ben 10 creators, Men of Action, Man of Action, excuse me, they're going to serve as showrunners and executive producers. Now, Sonic celebrating 30 years this year. You know you've got the live-action sequel that I believe is now in production or is about to head into production. But Sonic has had a lot of animated series over the years. And, and there really is no kind of idea as to what the story is going to be about. It just talks about, you know, high-octane adventures with strange new multiverse resting in his gloved hands. And so, okay, there's going to be a multiverse aspect to this story. And then maybe we'll get more than one Sonic. And maybe we'll get some of the characters that you love from some of the deep cut video games, right? And that would be cool. And again, we also don't know who's going to voice Sonic either because there was a report not too long ago. And forgive me, I can't remember who put it out. You tweet me at down and nerdy 757 if I'd missed it and, and it was uh, it was your story. But that Roger Craig Smith, who's voiced the character in multiple projects, is, and, and of course I talked to him on the show not too long, you know, he was on the show, what, a few years ago, to talk about the role and, and his role as Batman at the time in Animal Instincts. And there's been rumors that he's going to be leaving the role after a lot of years voicing the character. There's no word one way or the other as to whether or not he's going to be a part of this Sonic Prime series. I, I'd bring him in. Maybe Netflix and Sega want a fresh start with this animated series, and that's why we haven't heard his name attached to the project yet. But but again, just to me, being able to have somebody that's voiced a character for that long, I'm certainly open to someone else doing it. But, you know, when I, when I think Sonic in, in this particular form, I think Roger Craig Smith. So it's hard. Just like when you think Batman, you think, Kevin Conroy. You don't necessarily get upset when like Jason O'Mara voices the character because he does a great job too and others have as well. But still, you you still when you hear Batman, you think animation, you think Kevin Conroy and rightfully so. And to me, Roger Craig Smith is that for Sonic. So it's hard for me to imagine somebody else voicing the character. But again, obviously, you know, Ben Schwartz did a great job in the in the live action movie. I'd certainly be open to having a new interpretation in the animated realm as well. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks once again to my amazing guests that joined me this week. Mike Cahill talking about Amazon's Bliss, which you can now stream on Amazon Prime Video. And also a great, great conversation with Craig McCracken of Kid Cosmic from Netflix, that animated series. Also now streaming a couple, just so much that you can stream over the weekend after you're done listening to the show. If you want more from me, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Also, follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter, on Instagram, and at downandnerdy on Facebook. 
Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.